0: Good morning. Um, something that I wanted to kind of address right from the get-go today, not address, I guess more so just speak to, um, is something I don't think we've talked a whole lot about. We, we do it, and it's something that we see every week, but it's not something we talk about. Um, and it's the fact that for those who teach here, we have them teach from this same level, uh, not up on the stage, but down here. And that might not be something that seems significant to some people, but it's extremely significant to me, especially today, um, because really the reason that we do that is because it's a representation of the fact that we don't believe that for the people that are up here teaching that they are somehow above anybody else, that they are somehow the ones that know everything, that they're somehow the ones that uh, live everything out the way that we're supposed to live it out. Um, I can say that, and, and I say that especially today because where I'm coming from today is is just a place of, honestly, I feel like I haven't been living what I'm about to teach, um, haven't been living it out extremely well. It's been uh, a struggle. I feel like the last couple months of life have just been just been filled with distraction, um, been filled with a lot of, like, so many things to get done, so many things to do, and, and honestly, um, you know, my, my gaze of, of Jesus has not been not been super clear. And so I'm coming from that place to say that, you know, we, we're all on the same level here. And I'm looking out at this crowd right now, and I can see a number of faces of people who I know could get up here and teach about what I'm going to teach about today. And it would be from a place of a lot more experience than I have, and it would be a place of just, like I said, they just live it out better. Um, so I just want Want to make that uh, make that known today? That's why we do that. Um, so now we'll jump in. So I have a story uh, of yesterday. So yesterday I was at the eye doctor. Uh, raise your hand if you've been to the eye doctor. Okay. So when you go to the eye doctor, one of the things that you will always do, if it's a good eye doctor, is you will be sitting in the chair, and there is this device that the eye doctor wheels around in front of you. Does anyone know the name of that? Because I really don't. It's the one where they—I just call it the number one or number two machine. What is that like? Does anybody know the name of that? I'm a, foropter. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. She she works there, so she should know. Um, <laughs> but anyway. You sit in front of this machine, and what happens is you're staring at a screen, right? You're staring at this screen, and you're looking through these lenses of this machine. And then what your eye doctor will say is, okay, I'm going to change the lens. You tell me, is number one better or number two? Is number three better or number four? It's almost like a Vanna White of lenses. It's like, you know, it's kind of revealing this, this thing to you. And so what happens is, if you've been there, if you've experienced this, is some of the lenses are a little bit blurry, Right? And then some of them, all of a sudden, the image becomes sharper. And so, you know, you go through number one, number two, all the way up to, like, number ten, and what your doctor is trying to do is he's trying to determine what your prescription is. He's trying to determine what is going to help you best see so that, so that when you are wearing contacts, when you're wearing glasses, you can see everything clearly, right? Um, and so, man, God just really used that for me to be an illustration point of that is our struggle as People who want to follow Jesus, that is our struggle of the ebbs and going through the ebbs and flows of life, having a clear picture, seeing God for who He truly is, and then that lens gets switched for whatever reason, you know maybe it's a little bit harder to see him, maybe he is a little bit blurry, maybe you know we we have those distractions that come up right when we we don 't see him for who he really is, um, just this really powerful illustration that God used for me. Um, and and like I said, I, I think that really is representative of those ebbs and flows that we go through in life. Um, and so today what we're going to be talking about is worship. If you want to, if you brought your Bible and you want to flip to uh, the book that we're going to be in. It's going to be Psalms 96. So, I'm going to be continuing the, uh, the series and psalms that we've been in the last couple weeks. Um, and just real quick, for anybody that maybe doesn't know, maybe you haven't been to church a whole lot, maybe you don't know a lot about the Bible. So, psalms are a collection of books, and they're actually all songs. Like, they're supposed to be these, these, these lyrics to songs that are sung. And so, some of those are, you know, songs of, uh, you know, of lament. There's different categories. Some of them are songs of praise. Some of them are, are royalty. They're, they're thanksgiving. They're just these different things. And you know, where we're going to be today is one of those songs that, like Brian talked about last week, is a royal song. It's a, it's a psalm of, of praise. And so that's where we're going to be, Psalm 96. Now, going into this teaching, I asked about five different people. I asked them, give me your definition, and I want you to write it down and give it to me what your definition of worship is. And so I did that. And what was, what was kind of interesting to me is that most of the responses that I got all had to do with God, which, you know, at first, especially in this, the kind of environment that we're in right now, a church environment, that makes sense, right? That, that a definition of worship would involve God. But I guess I was coming at it from a much more broad standpoint because let's be honest, all, the things that we worship, they're not all God, right? We worship things other than God. And so the definition that we're going to kind of use today, that we're going to operate out of for worship is your response to whatever has captivated you. Because I believe that whatever captivates you in turn becomes what you worship. Whatever brings you joy, whatever you bow your life to, whatever you speak about, those are the typically going to be a good indicator of what you worship. Um, And so the author of this psalm that we're going to be talking about today is David. If you know anything about David, you'd know that, that David's known for a lot of different things. You've probably heard the story of David and Goliath. And then there's also a story you've probably heard of David when he had an affair with a woman and had that woman's husband killed. Um, so he had some ups and downs in life, that is for sure. But David is also the writer of an abundance of the Psalms that you'll read if you read through the book of Psalms. And so what you'll find is he's not only writing Psalms about you know, praise to God, he's also writing songs where he says, God, where are you? God, where are you? I feel like I'm far from you. God, are you ever going to answer me again? God, I need you. God, I feel like you're against me. You're going to see an abundance of those things. And I feel like it's a really good representation of that illustration that I gave of, you know, you can see that sometimes David is in these seasons of life where maybe that lens has flipped and things are a little blurry for him. And then sometimes he's seeing really clearly and he sees God for who he is. And he's, he just, man, it's, it's cutting him to the heart. And I feel like this is one of those moments. The Psalm 96 is kind of a snapshot, if you will, of one of those moments when David is seeing God for who he truly is. And let me just say, before I go any further, that, you know, that, that four-opter, that machine, the thing that you're looking at, it never actually changes. It's only the lens through which you look at it, right? The, the image itself never changes. It stays the same. It's just your perception of that thing that changes. And so that's an important thing to keep in mind as we, as we go forward. Um, So there are three kind of categories that I found that when it comes to worship, that the Bible would put someone in. One is those who offer acceptable worship to God. Two, those who worship God but unacceptably, and then three, those who don't worship God. So you have, you know, in the Bible, you have people who are from other nations than Israel, and they're worshiping these idols, and they don't really know about the God of heaven. They don't know about the God of Israel, so they're worshiping other gods. Um, But then. I found it pretty interesting that of these three categories, it's actually the second one that the Bible addresses most. It's actually the one, uh, the category of people who are worshiping God, but for whatever reason, God's calling them out and saying, your heart is not right in what you do. Your motivation is not right. That's the one that the Bible speaks to the most. I'm going to read through just a couple of verses uh, that kind of highlight that, and I could read through probably 30 others, but these are the ones I chose. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. This is Jesus talking. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The next one, John chapter 4, verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Isaiah 58. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but basically it says, "Yet they seek me daily and delight to know in my ways. In the day of their fast, they seek their own pleasure." God's calling the people of Israel out, saying, "You act like you're pursuing me, and you act like you want me, but really, it's all selfish. It's all for yourself." Uh, Amos chapter five, verses 21 to 24. This is this is God speaking. It actually says, "I hate, I despise your religious festivals." Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Genesis chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor." Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 to 28. This is the last one here. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead, and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy, and wickedness. And so, it becomes really clear that God takes pretty seriously the kind of worship that His people are offering to Him, right? God takes that seriously. It's, it's not just a ritual. God makes it very clear that it's not just about an act. It's about where is your heart at in this? It's about how do you actually feel towards God? What are your affections towards God? Because anybody can do an action. Anybody can, you know, play Simon Says and say, oh, raise your right hand. But, What's the motivation behind it? And God's calling these people out on that. And so those are a bunch of verses where God kind of highlights, hey, this is really not acceptable worship. This is not what I'm looking for. And then there's one verse that I'm going to read real quick. It's from Hebrews chapter 12, and, and this is what God says is acceptable worship. He actually, he actually calls it out and, and says, says those words verbatim. Um, it's in verse 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And so we see that the kind of worship that God says is acceptable in his sight is when we worship him with reverence and with awe, and when he becomes the all-consuming fire of our life. I don't know where you are today. Um, I know where I'm at today, uh, as far as my heart goes, and I just don't necessarily know if I can genuinely say that God is the all-consuming, all-encompassing fire that is consuming my life. I just don't think I can say that. Like I said, I've been, the last couple weeks of life, I've been filled with just things that are distracting, starting a new job, um, looking for houses, stuff with... Family. I mean, just, just things that, that aren't bad by any means, but can become distractions, can take our gaze, can flip that lens so that things just become a little bit blurry and it, it's hard to remember who God really is and, and what He's really like and what He's done. Um, and it's also, I, I would say, that, that, that the, the, tr- the true treasure of our hearts, whatever is captivating us, that is going to become what you worship. You can fake it for a little while. We can come here, and we can act like we are in love with God, and we're desperate for God, but if we're faking that, you can't can't do that for very long. Eventually, whatever you truly worship, it will will come to light. It will be made known. So with that, let's jump in, because I know my intro was pretty long today. Um, So I'll jump in, and we'll we'll, uh, see what what God has to say to us, because I think there's a lot of things that we really can glean from this snapshot of a man who is seeing God for who he truly is, and, and what, we can, what we can learn from that. So Psalm 96, I'm going to start in verse 1, and, and I'm, I've broken this down kind of into four different segments. Um, so verse 1 to 3, oh sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. So, within the first three verses, there are actually six different words that are used to insinuate speaking, to insinuate words coming out of our mouth. You see, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord, all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation, declare his glory among the nations. So, six times within three verses, it's too perverse if you're not a mathematician, too perverse of. The fact that when we are worshiping God, that, that we're, it should produce words. It should produce words that come out of our mouths. And, and let me just say, I'm not talking about the kind of worship, the, only the worship of, of singing songs with the, along with the band. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the conversations in our everyday life. What, think of through the last week of your life, what kind of conversations filled your week? Was it conversations that had to do with God and what He's done in your life and what He's doing and how awesome He is? And I understand that throughout our week, you know, we all have jobs, we have things that we have to do, so we can't just sit around and do nothing but praise God all day with our words. I understand that. But at the same time, like, we talk about the things that captivate us. We talk about the things that we love. Are we people who talk about and who share who God is and what He's done in our life? I can tell you that for me, when I look back at the last month, month and a half or so of my life… I just, my conversations have been pretty void of, of much to do with God. They've been focusing on a lot of other things. We speak about what we worship. I th- you know, it makes me think of, uh, in the book of Acts, Peter and John, when they have just been given the Holy Spirit, and they're starting to go out, and they're starting to proclaim the gospel, they are told, we want you, we command you to stop teaching in the name of Jesus. And what Peter and John say is, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. Well, then that begs the question, what have we seen and heard, or have we seen and heard? Are we people who have experienced who God is? Are we people who are seeing Him clearly for who He is, who are focused in on on Him and who He is? Because I think if we are, man, people will know what we worship. People will know that we love God. It makes me think of, uh, there was a guy that I went to India with. His name's Brett. He's a pastor in Richmond, Indiana. And I could tell you, within four hours of being with him on the mission trip that we went on, I could tell you two things about Brett. One was that he loved God because I'm telling you, this guy, his conversations were full of Jesus. His conversations were full of how much God has done in his life. I mean, I knew the guy's whole story within 10 minutes of being with him. And then I could tell you another thing, and it's that he loved his wife. The reason I can tell you that is because he talked a lot about his wife. He told me what his wife did for a living. He told me all of her gifts. He told me what she looked like. He told me all this stuff about his wife. I could tell that he loved his wife, that he was captivated by his wife. We will talk about the things that captivate us. But so often I think that the things that captivate us are are just things that are so futile, are things that are so less than so much so much weaker than God and that kind of brings us into the next section of verses verses 4 to 6 David says for great is the lord and greatly to be praised he is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols but the lord made the heavens splendor and majesty are before him strength and beauty are in his sanctuary the gods of the people this is this this cut me pretty deep because when I think about it, I mean, what, are the, what are the things in our day and age that are kind of the gods of the people? Jobs, homes, you know, connectedness, social media, I mean, all these things, money, things like physical things, these are, these are the things that are the gods of the people, and man, how how often do we worship these things? Do we talk about these things the most? I sit in a, in a kind of a cube environment and work, and so you can hear a lot of the conversations people are having, right? I could tell you what most of the people who sit around me worship, and I can tell you that because I hear what they talk about all day, and a lot of it, and, and I'm sure the same goes with me. They could probably tell you what I worship, but, but the thing about that is, when I really, if I told you what they talk about every day, and I'm sure if they told you what I talk about every day, they would say, that's kind of, that's, that's pretty pathetic that that's what you worship. You worship sports. You worship staying up to date on who's been traded to what team. That's, that's, that's really what you've given your life to. Like, it's just, we worship such, such lesser, th- lesser things we are captivated by such futile things cs lewis he has this quote where and i'm going to screw it up if somebody else knows it you can correct me but he basically says we're like children who are making mud pies in the backyard and we don't understand that there's a holiday at the sea being offered to us we think oh mud pies are good enough these are entertaining this is good and we don't realize the extent of what's being offered to us a relationship with god a relationship with the one who who made the heavens that's what david's trying to highlight here he's saying The gods of the people, all these things that you worship, and God made heaven? The the Lord made heaven, and you're you're worshiping these things? You're giving your life to these things? And He made heaven? He made you? He was before all things? He is going to be after all things? He has no beginning? He has no end? And He's not the one you want to worship? When I read this, I want to be someone who gives my life to this God, the one that made heaven's. But when I really look at my life, I I think that I do that, but I think I do that kind of sometimes with one foot in and one foot out. I think I have one foot that has a lot of that, that honestly wants to still be in the world, wants the things that the world can offer. And then I have one that, that sees in and out of focus, that sees who God is and sees that he's so much more worthy of my life than all those other things. But that's our struggle. Our struggle is to find that point of focus again and to stay there. And it's impossible. We don't have the ability to stay there. God can keep us there, but it's also we have to allow him to keep us there. And once we see him for who he truly is, once we see that he is worthy of every ounce of our life, that he is worthy of every area of our life, then we'll see that the gods of the people really are worthless idols. They really are futile. They're going to they're leave us empty. I think that's what, what David is, is seeing here jump down to the next section of verses, and honestly, this is probably the one that I struggle with the most, that I, that I have been convicted by the most. Verse 7, David starts to use these words, uh, this word ascribe. He says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble, before him, all the earth. So, that word ascribe, and I'm a words guy, so I say a lot of stuff like this when I'm up here. I say, Well, this word really means this. And I'm not trying to say that to say that, you know, God put this word in the Bible and he's trying to trick us and it means something else. I'm just saying that translated a little bit more literally, this word ascribe means to give. And so, if we think about it from that perspective, we can read these verses as Give to the Lord, O families of the people. Give to the Lord the gl- glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. So, Logically, if I give you something, right, if I'm giving something to you, let's say I'm handing you $20. If I'm giving you $20, what am I also doing? I'm giving it up. I am allowing that to be taken from me. And I think it's the same way when it comes to giving God glory, giving God strength. We have to realize that we aren't deserving of glory, that we aren't people who are strong. We don't, we can't have strength ascribed to us. But pride loves to get in the way, right? Pride loves to give it, get in the way and loves to make us think that we are people who are self-sufficient. I think self-sufficiency is probably the number one hindrance in our worship of God. Because you do not worship something that you think that you don't need. We do not worship something that we don't think can help us, right? We worship, you worship something that, that has captivated you and something that's captivated you, 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 you think, I need that thing. I, I, that thing needs to be in my life. That needs to be the center point of my life, and so that word described is also coupled with this word worship. And actually, this is the only time that the word worship appears in this text here, in verse uh, verse nine, when it says, "Worship the Lord and the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth." So there are a number of different Hebrew words for worship in the Hebrew language, and and they mean slightly different things. But this particular word that we're looking at right here, it actually means to be prostrate. And please excuse me if I say prostate. I have been going through these notes, and I will say prostate out loud. I'll be like, oh my gosh. So please forgive me if I say prostate. I mean prostrate. Um, Anyway, this this word, it means to be prostrate before God. And if you don't know what prostrate means, prostrate means to be face down knees, hands and knees on the ground, face to the floor. That's what it means to be prostrate. How many things in our lives, in your life, are you really prostrate towards? How many things do you bow down to in your life? I know for me, uh, there's not many, and and, and at this particular point in life, I would say, you know, God's not necessarily that. I would say that, you know, if anything, I think we can struggle more with… more with… With apathy. Sorry, I'm trying to get this thing back open. It locked on me. I think, I think we can struggle with kind of just being apathetic in our, in our pursuit of God, apathetic in, in how we approach Him. Because you don't, you don't bow down to something that you don't need. You don't, you don't bow down to something you're not captivated by. We have to be people who, who understand that, that we are not self-sufficient people as much as the world tells us that we are self-sufficient people as as easy as it is to think that because honestly the majority of the people in this room maybe not everybody the majority of the people in this room if you want something in life whether it be a thing or whether it be a pursuit you can nothing's really going to stop you you know i know that maybe some people here make more money than others but but all things considered most of us can pretty much obtain anything that we want to obtain and so it creates in us this this feeling that we are self-sufficient people that yeah you know i I know God's going to help me, but I kind of got this, and I'm somebody who I can, I can tend to lean towards. You know, I love tasks. I love when people give me tasks um, because of the fact that when someone gives me a task, I can create a plan, and I can, I can create multiple plans. I can have a plan B. I can have a plan C. I can have a plan D, and so really w- w- what I can struggle with is the fact that I make myself the one that's in control. I'll say, oh God, can you help me with this? I kind of got, got it figured out, but in case I need your help, can you come along with me? We are people who believe that we are self sufficient. And in this moment we see a man who is realizing that he is not self-sufficient. I mean, Joe got up here and, and, and shared that, man, we just if we're left to our own devices, we it can get pretty dark, right? And we face those moments of darkness, but then man, pretty quickly after that we we tend to gravitate back towards, I got this. I can do this on my own. I don't, you know, God can help me, but I I, I think I got it. We are people who who need to be, as God's people, need to be prostrate before Him, need to be bowing our lives before Him. When is the last time that you feel like, whether figuratively or literally, we're bowed before God, we're prostrate before God? When's the last time? I mean, I know that for me, I, I can't even tell you the last time. And so, this last part here, and I know I kind of, that wasn't the best transition, but I feel like, you know, it's just a thought that we need to kind of meditate on. When is the last time that we really were bowed down before Him? Admitting that we are in need, admitting that we aren't self sufficient, that we don't have the strength. And so, that kind of brings us to this last little bit here, and it's going to It's going to tie up what what David's writing here. Verse 10, he says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And so we're told that God reigns, and then immediately after that, we're told that this is, this is a cause for joy, right? Well, why is it a cause for joy? It goes on to talk about how God's going to come and judge, that God's going to come and judge the world in His righteousness and faithfulness, but yet in the midst of that, we're supposed to have joy? Well, Why? How can you have joy if if God's going to come and judge? It's because it says that God is going to judge in his faithfulness. See, God has made a promise to us that for those that are in Christ, that for those who believe that Jesus came, that he lived, that he died, so that we could have a relationship with God, so that we could experience God, he promises that he is going to show us grace that he's going to forgive us, that there's going to be redemption, that there's going to be reconciliation, that there's going to be sanctification, that he'll never leave us or forsake us, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that he's patient with us like a father is a child, that he disciplines us, that he loves us, that He has shown us forbearance. He tells us all those things. And so when we're told that God's going to come and judge, we can have joy in the midst of that because he says that he's for us. He's not judging us to condemn us, but he's judging, us, he's, he's judging the world, and He's on our side. He's fighting for us. And that word joy, I'm doing, I'm doing my thing again, that word joy, you know what it actually kind of means, translated literally? It means grace recognized. Joy is grace recognized. Because when we recognize that that's the God that's on the throne and that's the God that's reigning, well, then it makes perfect sense why we should have joy. When you think of your worship of God, whether that be on a Sunday morning while you're sitting in these seats, or whether that be throughout the rest of your week, when you think about your worship of God, is joy a big part of that equation? It should be. But how often is it not? How often, you know, maybe do we come on a Sunday morning or throughout the week and, you know, we just kind of see Worship and our relationship with God is something we just got to get, you know, it's a Sunday morning, something we just got to get through, something we got to sit through, let the guy talk, let the music play, and go home, and then we can relax. How often is joy just so void from our worship? That This is, joy is really the true litmus, te- the true litmus test of, are we, do we want God? Do we really worship God? Are we being captivated by God? Because let me tell you, the things in life that bring us joy, those are going to be the things that we're captivated by. Those are going to be the things that we end up worshiping because joy, let's be honest, is a feeling we all love to experience, right? Joy is something that whatever brings us joy, we want more of that thing, right? If that's a relationship, I mean, I know Anna, you know, she kind of shared a little bit, like, in, in probably the last, like, four or five years, God has done a huge work in her life, and I would say my life as well, but back in high school, I mean, we kind of brought each other joy. That they, each other was our source of joy, you know, friends were our source of joy, and so you give yourself to whatever is bringing you joy. So I, I just ask the question, you know, ask yourself the question today, is, is God bringing you joy? Is your pursuit of God one that brings you joy? Because it should be, and it does. The Bible tells us that there's an inexpressible joy that we are able to have when we know Jesus. There's an, an unexplainable feeling of knowing that the God of heaven, the God that made the heavens, like we talked about before, the God that was before all things and will always be that he loves us and he's on our side. There is an inexpressible joy when we are clearly seeing that, but that's the problem, right? We don't always clearly see that. Sometimes it's a little blurry, and it's our fight, it's our responsibility to try to help ourselves get back to that point. Not just help ourselves, but ask God to help us get back to that point where we are seeing Him for who He truly is, because that is the only way that we are able going, that we are ever going to be able to offer acceptable worship to God, and to have joy, and for it to be real, for it to not be something that is, that is fake, for it to not be something that's just fabricated. Man, that's something that honestly I do love about this place, is that we try our best not to be people who are fake. That's why I'm trying to communicate to you that while I'm the one up here, I know that a ton of other people could be up here. I know Randy, I mean, you guys see Randy's passion up here every single week when he shares. He is someone who I know, and I'm not trying to puff you up, Randy, but he's somebody who I know experiences the joy of Christ. Other people, I mean, I could name a ton who should be up here instead of me. But we try to be real. And so be real with yourself today. Are you experiencing the joy of Christ? Are you experiencing the joy that He wants to bring in your life because He can? And I know He does. And I know because I have been in that place where I'm seeing Him clearly, where everything's focused in right, right? And maybe right now I'm not there, but I've seen it before. I've seen it, I've experienced it, I've tasted it, and I want more of it. I want to get back there. And I'm not saying that we need to be people who get back to where we once were. God always wants to call us forward. But... We want to get back to where we're seeing him clearly for who he is, right? Man, I feel like we've, me and, and, and maybe other, others of you, I feel like, man, I've just been distracted. I don't know if you can commiserate with me, but man, have just been distracted. And so to tie all this together, I think really what we can take away is that God wants us to experience him an experience of Him, not just a ritualistic motion of, of acting like we know who He is, but He wants us to actually experience Him. You know, like I said, I like tasks and I also like equations. I'm somebody who likes equations because with equations, you can plug in variables and you get a certain output, right? You can put in Bible reading and prayer and bam, your relationship with God's awesome. You can put in these certain things, and it's great, but that's not the way that it actually works. I'm not saying that Bible reading and prayer are bad things. I'm just saying it's not such an equation. It's a relationship. That same friend of mine, Brett from Indiana, who's, who's a pastor, he told me one time, he said, Josh, it's a relationship. It's not an equation. And that has stuck with me for so long. And God does. As much as I want to gravitate towards that equation side of things, God does not let me. He reminds me, this is an experience. You are to experience me. Not just go through these these rituals. You think back over history, and Kevin, I'm sure you could you could uh, name a lot more civilizations that existed than I can. But a lot there was a lot of civilizations that, when you look back through history, they worshipped. But a, but a lot of it was like this ritualistic religious process, right? It wasn't necessarily about experiencing what they were worshiping. It was about making sure you do the right things. Isn't that exactly what the Pharisees did? So much so to the point where they you know were tithing on their their herbs. And what does Jesus say about them? Jesus said, Woe to you. You're a whitewashed tomb. You're full of dead bones. You can can trick everybody else, but you can't trick me. Let's be honest with ourselves about where we're at because it it is so pointless and it is so futile to offer up worship to God if our hearts are not in the right place. It is pointless. We might impress everybody around us and we might fool everybody around us, but we cannot fool Him. So there's four things we talked about today that are a good takeaway for how do we assess what are we worshiping and, you know, are we really worshiping God in a way that he would say is acceptable? We talked about, you know, the answer of these questions will point us, will point us towards what we're worshiping. What do we speak about? What are we praising? What are we, you know, are we praising the gods of the peoples or are we praising and living our lives for God? What are we bowed down before, both in a figurative in a literal sense. What are we bowed down before? And then four, what brings us joy? The answer to those four things is going to be an incredible indication of what has captivated you, and it's going to be an incredible indication of what you probably worship. Now, obviously, what we desire, what I truly desire, what I desire for everyone in this room is that the answer to all of those questions would be Jesus. The answer to all those questions would be the grace that has been given to us, that that's what we're captivated by. But like I said, if we're honest, is that really the answer that we're going to give? If we're honest. Now, I don't want, you know, I, I know that that's kind of a a sobering thing but I don't want to end today on this, you know, guilt trip of man I haven't been worshiping God but I want to encourage us in the fact that God, like I said, the image that we look at when we're at the doctor, it doesn't change likewise God doesn't change. And so God is always loving, forgiving compassionate, merciful. And he always wants us to take one more step towards him. He is never going to say, oh, because you have not been worshiping me right, I'm going to forget you forever. Remember, never leave or forsake. No condemnation. So whatever your answer would be to these questions today, my hope is that you would know that there is a God that is worthy of our lives, that is worthy of our worship, and that he wants you to take a step towards him. He is not mad at you. He is not, you, you are not too far beyond his grasp. He wants you to take one step towards him. And then after you do that, he wants you to take another step towards him. And each step that you take towards him, that lens, that vision is going to get a little bit more clear. It's going to get a little bit more clear. It's going to get a little bit more clear until you see him for who he truly is. And then we'll be able to, to say with David, we'll be able to sing to the Lord and bless his name, tell of his salvation. We'll be able to see that the gods of the peoples are futile and worthless idols but that He made the heavens. We'll be able to experience the joy that He says that He can bring. And so with that, you know, following what Duke said today, I, I don't necessarily want to just close us out in prayer and kind of have it be a, a nice transition into whatever's going to be next, but you know, I'm going to leave it open. I don't even know where Duke's at, so we're going to have some awkward silence, it looks like. Um, but honestly, we can take this time just be honest with God. Tell God, God, I have been distracted. I have been worshiping the gods of the people. I have been not focused on you. And ask him, God, show me who you really are. Help me to get back to that point of focus.